Hello, you're listening to Hear This Idea, and in this episode we spoke with Catcher Grace. Catcher runs AI Impacts, which is a research project trying to incrementally answer decision-relevant questions about the future of artificial intelligence. Uh, she also blogs at worldspiritsockpuppet.com, which I recommend reading. And recently Catcher was in Time magazine writing about how AI is not an arms race. There were two posts which Luca and I were especially excited to talk about. The first is on counter-arguments to the basic AI Express case, which I guess lays out what Catcher sees as the main high-level argument for thinking that AI X-Risk is high. And then it goes through just a really thoughtful list of potential holes in that argument and reasons for thinking that catastrophe might not be the default outcome. So we talk about that in the first half of the conversation. And then we talk about a post Catcher wrote called uh, Let's Think About Slowing Down AI, which goes through a bunch of considerations on that question and which preempted the FLI open letter on pausing large AI trading runs, which you've probably seen. So Katja shared her thoughts on that letter and gave some other updates since she wrote the post. I think Katja is a really unusually clear and inquisitive voice on these, you know, big picture questions about AI. So Luca and I got a ton out of this chat and I hope you do too. Okay, here's Katja Grace. Okay, so just as a first question, can you tell us what you're working right now? I don't currently have a main project. Uh, various things are going on. Maybe the thing I've been thinking about most lately is whether it's actually good to try and slow down AI, or mm-hmm. or more specifically, what that should look like. Because um, you know, there's a difference between slowing down uh, the start of training runs or slowing down releases. Yeah, nice. And looking forward to actually talking about that. Um, but just another high level question, you run something called AI impacts. Can you just tell us what that is? Yeah. Um, it's a project which is at MIRI, uh, the machine intelligence research Institute, but is, is pretty separate. Um, we're basically trying to answer high level questions, uh, decision relevant questions about what will happen with the future of AI. So things like when will AI be able to do crazy things. Um, Is it likely to destroy the future of humanity then? Um, What kinds of systems might we expect? Uh, Will things happen very abruptly or gradually? That sort of thing. Um, Usually we research much easier questions and uh, it's sort of like a hierarchy of questions where um, um, often we're we're answering questions more like exactly how fast did cotton gins get better uh <laughs> right <laughs> was eli whitney's cotton gin really impressive or was it similar to the ones beforehand as kind of input to the question of technology in general how fast does it like how often is it jumpy uh as input to should we expect this particular future technology to be jumpy um so yeah it, it's a lot of empirical stuff another thing i appreciate from the website last time i was poking around it and I can't remember exactly what this is called, but you have some database of people trying to imagine concrete scenarios that are AI relevant, um, <laughs> oh, like yeah. actually trying to tell the stories. And I think that's very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's called our uh, vignettes project. Um, we sometimes have workshops where um, various people try to do that at once, like write a concrete story about something that might happen uh, yep. with the idea that people might then um, critique one another's and be like, wait, that isn't plausible and, and try and keep going until it is plausible. So often we get sort of sidetracked at the write the story bit and then haven't had huge amounts of critique. 
maybe to to start diving in uh, to the conversation, it's just asking, you know, how worried should we be about uh, AGI in the first place? And you've written this uh, great blog post called Counter, Counter Arguments uh, to the Basic X Risk Case. And I maybe just want to begin by asking you to summarize what you try to uh, do in that piece and maybe also ask what uh, led you to want to write that uh, blog post in the first place. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm trying to do in that piece is part of my larger effort to just be clear on what the arguments are um, and evaluate whether I think they're good. Um, how I came to be doing that is, uh, you know, more than 10 years ago when I came across people uh, worrying about these things, um, uh, they were sort of, I guess, I, I was trying to do what seemed like the most important thing, which I guess at the time was, I think I was interested in developing world aid, maybe in sustainability, which I guess was a precursor to X risk in my mind, because huh. I had the impression yeah. from undergrad that if things were unsustainable, then, you know, the world would end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I ran into, um, AI risk people, and they were sort of like, no, you should be concerned about AI risk instead. Um, so actually for ages, I've been trying to be very clear about what the arguments are and have got sidetracked and done all kinds of other things instead. Background, ongoing project. Um, and I guess I felt like there hasn't been enough uh, clarity on why one should think these things. So yeah, my, my hope was to, to try and be very careful about that. I think at this point, other people have done have done a better job of that than uh, a better job of laying out the arguments than um, you know I was more annoyed about at the time I maybe started uh, trying to lay things out in the wiki. For instance, I think like Joe Carl Smith's thing is um, is you know more careful um, and and goes through the argument. Though I guess I, I still feel like um, there's more being. Uh, disagreeable to be done um, <laughs> that should be there. Uh, so I, yeah, I guess I was hoping to put all of that together in a blog post, just um, partly to make it easier to to make it easier to make these wiki pages. Uh, it seemed good to get some feedback from the world uh, <laughs> by, yeah. by putting some, some more spicy and interesting bits into a blog post. And I guess it uh, it went relatively well, and I still haven't actually finished making the wiki pages. And there's something I, I really like about um, kind of in searching and like for arguments in favor of something. It's really useful to engage with arguments against something, uh, even if it is just to like help clarify why or what exactly it is that you find uh, convincing about something. Um, but maybe to um, ask before we dig into like separate uh, specific counter arguments that you raise, could you give us like a quick rundown or like a very quick summary of the blog post overall? Um, maybe, yeah, in, like list form or something. The basic argument um, is something like this. Uh, if we have very smart AI at some point, it will probably have goals in the sense of um, it'll be trying to achieve particular things in the world. Uh, and then if it has these goals, probably uh, these goals will be bad for various reasons. Um, I'm not going to all the, the supporting things in the argument here, just sort of at the high level. Uh, probably they'll be bad. Um, and then if we have these kind of very smart agents trying to bring about things in the world and the things that are trying to bring about are bad, um, that's likely to be very bad, uh, <laughs> I would say is the highest level argument. 
And so I guess the counter arguments are sort of arranged according to that. Like there, there are reasons you uh, might not think that superhuman AI systems will be goal-directed and reasons you might think that their goals aren't as likely to be terribly bad as all that. And uh, reasons you might doubt that even if there were smart agents around with bad goals, that that would be the end of the world. Well, let's jump into the arguments and let's begin with that first claim in the basic case, which is something like, well, we might expect superhuman AI systems, if they're built, might expect them to have uh, goals in a way which could end up being bad. And um, yeah, what do you have to say about that? What, how might you push back on that? Yeah, I think um, there are various reasons for expecting them to have goals. Um, I think maybe a big one is that goals just seem very useful. Uh, like if, if you can use various tools to try and bring about something you want, um, that's more annoying than if you can somehow say the thing you want to a system and it can just try and bring that about and use whatever is uh, available to it. Um, so you might think, well, people are just going to try and do this a lot. It would be very hard to avoid having goal-directed agents um, or goal-directed systems, which I call agents. Uh, but I think one way to push back against that is like, like goal-directedness is uh, sort of unclear what we're talking about. It's pr pretty... Um, there are lots of different kinds of behavior that are kind of like that, sort of more like a spectrum. Um, the the arguments about why this would be very dangerous sort of um, go through it being something like a utility maximizer, uh, which is to say having a particular utility function that it's trying to maximize um, and uh, potentially doing really crazy things to bring that about. For systems that... Um, I don't know, like copy human behavior or something. So you can expect that they'll behave in a roughly human way. Uh, you can still have something that's pretty goal-directed in the sense that um, you might be interested in economically. Like if, if when you ask it to make an appointment, it does uh, have the patterns of behavior that try and bring about you having an appointment. Like it sort of systematically knows that it should like look at a calendar and figure out what else is going on and uh, try and call a person you're interested in. I think that sort of looks goal-directed from the economically valuable perspective, but it's not clear that it's um, trying to maximize anything in particular. So it's not clear that it's the dangerous thing. So, mm. yeah. Well, one useful distinction uh, I like here, uh, correct me if I'm uh, maybe interpreting this wrong from your blog post, but is yeah. noting that there can be a really big difference between uh, telling an AI maximize the number of paper clips in the world, which you know famously you can uh, see kind of going to to all sorts of like wrong and uh, weird places, as opposed to telling uh, an AI act like a really smart CEO of a paperclip company, and then uh, that behavior can still you know spur a lot of like really useful uh, actions, but because you're asking it to kind of imitate. Uh, as you mentioned before, a smart human, um, it still kind of bounds the types of actions that they would be like likely to to be doing in more kind of sensible-ish uh, looking ways, while still kind of, you know, also telling you what it is that you should be doing if you're trying to make a more profitable uh, paperclip company. Yeah, that, 
that seems like a good example. I think a way this still potentially goes very badly is like, uh, I know, a kind of thing that humans do or CEOs do is actually try and think about how to maximize the number of paperclips uh, or, or like try to think about how to make their thinking more goal-directed in ways. Humans definitely do that some amount, um, though it doesn't seem like they're getting much more goal-directed extremely rapidly. Um, I guess uh, on, on these kind of topics, another thing I think is interesting is that uh, if you're concerned that there's like economic pressure for, for making these things, I think there are economic incentives to have things that are not maximally agentic. Um, and I guess maybe it's easier to think about in a case where, where someone isn't the head of a company, but like, um, you know, if, if someone's, or if a system is sort of acting as a part of a larger company, say you, with humans, you, if you employ someone, you want them to know what their role is and stick to doing that and not, you know, mess around with other parts of the company or other things that might affect the company. And so I think that's a way in which the, the economic incentives are not obviously for maximal agency. Yeah, that sounds sensible. So to try saying that back, the thought is that there might be incentives against systems which behave like they're maximizing something obvious. Because in the actual world, we often prefer that people don't just act as if they're maximizing something. And that's because that kind of behavior um, could look a little dangerous or reckless or involve these kind of uncertainties where we'd actually prefer something that's a little more bounded and predictable. Maybe one way that I might think about pushing back is just at a very high level, it seems almost like kind of trivially the case that in the long run, we should expect systems with long run goals to um, do best and like be selected for, right? And so as long as there's any such systems, then they might eventually like proliferate. Does that make sense? Makes sense as a claim. Um, plausibly makes sense as what will happen. I think somewhat unclear because um, I, guess, I guess the claim is like there's a selection effect for things that uh, try to stick around longer. Um, and I, I agree that there's a selection effect for that. Um, I think it's not clear how strong that selection yeah, effect yeah, is yeah. relative to other effects going on, um, which I guess uh, at, at a more abstract level is I feel like often a kind of easy um, or, or like a, a kind of criticism I have of <clears throat> um, uh, thinking about this kind of thing. I think it's sort of easy to like notice an effect and be like, oh, that's what will happen and forget to do the step of like, ah, oh, but other like what else will affect this thing? Is this going to be the main deciding factor in like this other parameter? So maybe outside of the selection effect, what other pressures uh, or the like do you see uh, also going on? I guess what kinds of, I mean, I think I've just been talking now more about the kind of situation where economic pressures matter. I think like humans are enough still in control that they get mm. to decide what is created. Um, to a decent extent. So then I think um, which systems are particularly valuable for humans is, is a big selection effect. Again, you might look at animals and be like, all right, animals that have like, you know, 
really long-term goals are more likely to survive. So we should mostly just see animals with long-term goals. But then, in mm. fact, like really delicious animals are like selected for a lot. Um, yeah. And that's kind of a thing yeah. happening at a different level. Um, and cows don't have super long-term goals. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> and like, you know, humans that want to have big families, we should expect to be selected for. But it just isn't the case that like most people on Earth really want to have big families still. So yeah, maybe these things are slow as well as we, um, cool. So, okay. We were talking about this claim that AI systems look likely to have goals in a way, which could be very bad if those goals are bad. Now let's talk about that next claim, which is the worry that the goals will be bad <laughs> or in some sense, having goal directed AI systems yeah. could end up doing bad things. Yeah. I don't know where you want to start on that. Yeah. Maybe this is the one where I feel most hopeful or like, <laughs> I guess it seems reasonably plausible to me that you end up without terrible goals. So I guess the, the traditional thought and why it might be very bad, um, is sort of like, well, even if you, if you try to get human goals, what you get will be like slightly different from human goals, at least, um, I think there are a few different thoughts here. One of them is like you won't get to be you won't get exactly human goals, um, and then that the value to humans of goals that are in some sense very similar to human goals falls off very quickly. So if you get it slightly wrong, mm. it's a disaster. Um, is one kind of thought, and uh, the other thought is um, that if you try to train a thing to have certain goals, it will end up with very different goals. Um, and be sort of trained to uh, understand its situation and realize that it should deceive you and act as though it has the goals you want while it just has sort of arbitrarily different goals. So that's a different story for how you end up with like very bad goals. Yeah. Can you say more about this idea that yeah, people like to say that in some sense, the values that we care about or that we would judge should be good for the future are extremely fragile or complex such that it's easy to kind of miss them um but i don't know why i think that I, it seems like lots of people have pretty different values but they all seem roughly fine so yeah what's the the thinking going on i think yeah this is a part of the argument that i'm particularly uh confused about i think um so i i could just misunderstand where other people are at i think looking at the uh Eliezer Yudkowsky blog post about this a long time ago um, called Values of Fragile, I think. Um, the, the line of thought is something like, well, if you tried to write down human values and you just like missed out the concept of boredom, say, then maybe you just get a thing repeated all the time and, and that would be like pretty terrible, even if it was a pretty good thing or something, which I think is maybe debatable also, uh, or is clearly debatable, but... Um, uh, and so I guess I, I pushed back on this in my blog post, um, thinking like, this is not the kind of error that you make though. Like this is not like a, a minor divergence from human values, um, or it's not the kind of error that I expect AI systems to make. I think this is sort of the equivalent to like, if, um, if you asked an AI system to make a human face for it to just like miss out the nose or something rather than the face being like, subtly different from a human face 
I yeah. think like, if you had to write down human values from memory, like in words, um, indeed, you might do a relatively bad job. But also if I mm. had to like write down what a human face is like in words, I might do a relatively bad job of recreating a thing that's um, not horrifying to look at. Maybe if you could like just elaborate on on that point then. So if um, AIs don't get human values because a human like wrote them down somewhere, uh, how do you think the AIs then come to learn uh, human values in a way that is like more robust and, and means that they don't make even these like bigger mistakes? Um, I guess I think like the the kind of AI systems we have, in fact, that like train on lots of examples of things, just generally tend to. Um, get subtle things right like like be able to learn detailed mm. things that we couldn't have written down well um like i guess it seems like a particularly promising overall genre of ai for learning a complicated um messy thing yeah yeah like one analogy here might be so in the kind of let's say the earlier conversations about this thought that values or wishes are in some sense very fragile or complex yeah uh you get all these stories like um when you kind of make a wish and then you leave out some key thing and then it goes wrong like sorcerer's apprentice type things yeah um so it's like you know take me to uh the cafe as quickly as possible and like if it gets that you want to get there alive and then it like kills you <laughs> because that's the quickest way um but when i think about um the systems we have that are built around this kind of you know deep learning regime trained on like lots of examples and it seems to be able to understand nuance quite well when I talk to like chat GPT, uh, it tends to never make these errors. Um, yeah. it's at least understanding, even when I don't specify exactly what I want, it kind of gets it. And maybe that's like a hopeful bit of evidence. Yeah. I think that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. It's more like if, if the genie had to just like watch you have a good trip to the cafe a large number of times and then just like do that again. Uh, right. <laughs> So you you mentioned an analogy to machine learning and, and face generators. Um, yeah. I know that this uh, point got kind of some discussion uh, in the comments, especially about uh, what it means to be maximally uh, face-like. Uh, could you explain maybe first, uh, yeah, why uh, whether you tell an ML to make the most maximum face-like face, -like face uh, why that uh, question has bearing uh, to the conversation here, and then maybe yeah, like what was going on in the in the comment section there. Yeah, so I, I probably, I don't know if I read all of the comments on this question, but I certainly saw some of them. <laughs> um, I think, um, yeah, so, so my, my claim was that the fact that um, current systems can make extremely accurate looking faces um, that many people can't distinguish from real faces, uh, at least without some thought, um, is evidence uh, that... AI systems can also probably do relatively well at learning values, as we were just discussing. Um, and uh, the, the response to that is something like, "If okay, but these faces are that we're seeing that are very accurate, are sort of like um, drawn from a distribution or something. And if you if you try to maximize the face likeness, then it actually looks less face like." Um, and I think I don't actually quite know what the uh, uh, relevance of that is, but I think it might be something like, um, well, we're going to use these AI systems to maximize things. Um, and so if their maximizing behavior, uh, looks very crazy, 
that's still a bad sign, even if when non-maximizing, they could make a thing that was a lot like what you wanted. Yeah, I feel like I haven't thought this through well. I'm somewhat confused. Um, if if the maximize thing does not look at all like what you wanted and a different thing does, then it seems like the thing you're likely to use is the thing that does look like what you want. Um, so then I'm a bit unsure how this maximizing ends up being used. So I should say also with the caveat that um, I might be like making con conceptual mistakes here or something, but I think the thing that the maximally face-like thing makes me think about is that, you know, you can have a lot of really good uh, image classifiers, which if you show, you know, uh, various pictures of animals, they can tell you, oh, this is a dog or this is a cat. But if you then try to, you know, maximize what is the most dog-like picture or the most cat-like picture, uh, you know, which it will give the like very big certainty to um, that this is a in, in fact a dog um, or what have you, then I think in many cases you often get these kind of like hallucinating weird kind of like pictures um, or, yeah, or what right. have you. So in a sense that, um, you know, for most points about um, like use, this, this thing looks uh, sensible, um, but when taken to the absolute extreme, then it doesn't. And maybe when you can still check that the only real uses are the sensible, like human aligned uses, uh, you're kind of in the clear, but as soon as the system gets powerful enough to escape her or, or to like maximize according to its own accord, then you can start getting into these more, more trippy and weird and, and possibly bad futures. Yeah, I think that makes more sense to me. Like if, if there's some story of, or if the idea is humans will be using it for the thing that looks roughly like what humans would want, but then there's like a new regime where it escapes or something and does and maximizes thing. Um, then I see how that would be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a few more angles on this like general question we're talking about, which is, will the goals be bad? Yeah. So I take it that we were talking about, will an AI be able to understand uh, human goals or human values? And then there's this extra question as you framed it, which is even given that AI systems can understand our goals, Maybe there's an extra challenge about getting them to care um, or care in just the right way. So I don't know if you have like, yeah, extra thoughts about that kind of separate part of the, the question. But this is like the concern that they will not at all learn to have your values, but merely to, to trick you. You know, we were talking about reasons to expect AI, especially ML systems, to, in some sense, understand our values in the sense of being able to, you know, predict the things that we say we like uh, and predict our feedback. Um, but often people point out that that's not the real challenge. The challenge is getting these systems to share those values or to just care about those things um, in some robust sense. And maybe there are some extra problems with, with that. Yeah, that seems right. <clears throat> and in particular, um, this problem where if during training uh, the system comes to understand the situation, I guess, mm -hmm. and and uh, enough to know like what your values are that that it should pretend to have, and whatever values it does have at that time, ish, that it should do what you want it to do so that it gets to survive. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. I think this yeah. this is a kind of scenario that people um, imagine. That causes it to end up not having the right values at all. Um, I feel like uh, I don't know the details of this enough to to 
comment qualifiedly. A thing that I, th I think about, <laughs> wonder about is like, if, um, if you're training a system like this, um, and like partway through the training, it, uh, it has something like some goals and an understanding of the world. Um, the usual argument is like, it should do what you want so that you don't destroy it. Um, but I, th I, I don't know that that makes sense to me because I think, uh, in training, you're, you're going to destroy it either way in some sense, like you're going to modify its weights a bit. Uh, like if you liked what it did, you'll modify its weights a bit. If you didn't like what it did, you'll modify them a bit a different way. And so it seems like thinking of this as it's surviving or not doesn't actually make sense unless it's like at the very end of training. It seems like the question has to be, um, would it prefer one set of weight changes to the other? Um, it seems like sort of pragmatically for it to reason about which set of weight changes it would prefer from its perspective of having like just woken up in training and understanding it, like it has to understand its situation pretty well to even strategize about this. Um, like how does it come to know like w which weight changes are good? Like it has to understand the, the working of its own mind or something. Um, and also like, even if it can, I guess it's not immediately obvious to me that the one where it does the thing that you wanted it to do is better for it. Um, like, I, I guess one thing that makes me wonder a little about that, uh, or you, you might think it's better because then, um, uh, maybe you'll change it, change things less because it's more like what you wanted or something. Maybe training will end sooner. And so whatever gets out will be closer to what it's currently yeah. like. So maybe it likes that. Um, but also if like, if it's value, if its own values are now relevant to its behavior, um, I guess that seems like it might imply something about how much its values or, or the parts of the system that are encoding its values get changed going forward. Mm -hmm. Like if they're not relevant at all. Okay, nice. I'll try summarizing that section. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about um, given that AI systems, powerful systems, are goal directed in some worrying sense. Will the goals just be really bad? Uh, one reason to think that, that might be fine is that we have reasons to expect AI systems, even now, seem decently good at understanding, um, even fairly complex uh, goals and values and wishes that we have. Um, and then there's something like a kind of second question, which is even given that the systems kind of understand what we want, maybe there are stories where they still don't end up in some sense sharing those values or just caring about that at all. One story is this kind of deceptive alignment thing. Maybe during training, it has this kind of awareness of what's going on, which means that it kind of outwardly projects that it cares about the things we want it to care about until it, you know, makes this kind of this turn or something. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, it's funny because you were saying a lot of stuff that I hadn't really heard before and I don't know how to summarize it, but it just sounds sound like that's kind of, I don't know, uh, when you try to think about how that works, maybe some interesting technical and kind of philosophical questions pop up. Um, and that would be, yeah, useful to think a bit more about. I feel like another important thing is that, um, 
the systems that we actually seem to be using are these large language models. Um, I feel like the concerns that there have been are maybe somewhat different uh, in the in a world of large language models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like pretty unclear. I mean, it seems like they don't actually have goals, probably. Um, and if in the end they're acting agentically because they're sort of role-playing an agent, um, but they're kind of doing it aloud, like we, we can... Like, if we don't think there's that much going on separate from their own narrated, like, okay, and then what I should do is blah. And if th then that, uh, I think we should maybe less imagine that they're deceptively aligned or something. Um, or, yeah. It seems like they would have to be running a whole separate, like, what should I be? Right. Like, I'm wearing this mask, but there's like a thing that's wearing the mask that's also reasoning about what it wants and what it's doing. Yeah, but that's kind of not what's going on. It's just like you're picking from some big distribution of masks. It seems like the the systems we have at the moment are much better at reasoning when they when we sort of prompt them to reason aloud carefully, uh, or, or they they do things better when they when their train of thought is you know prompted to be away, um, which I think suggests that it you know it would be hard for them to be running some separate um, train of thought that we weren't able to see at least if they were sort of similar to the current systems. Mm. Yeah. And one question I had uh, originally uh, maybe lined up for later, but maybe it makes sense to uh, ask now is, so So one thing that I think I definitely take from a lot of these counter arguments is reasons to be skeptical why the current uh, paradigm of AI maybe doesn't seem as threatening as the like basic case for X risk uh, says it is. But I think one thing that I also hear is that people are very worried about kind of recursive AI improvement that, you know, maybe uh, language models are what lets you train the next generation of AI, but that that generation of AI can look very different, that it just creates like different types of systems such that even if, you know, we might get a positive update that things are less scary now because of the current systems, the fact that we might be able to build even weirder or even scarier um, systems in the future is still a really scary thing, even if it is like harder to predict. So I guess one way to turn that into, into a question, which I would be, be curious for uh, your answer um, is how serious to take this like runaway uh, or thinking that because AI progress is just quick in general, that things might just look very different um, than, than what we're like observing today, as opposed to like taking a large update on whatever the current techniques are. Yeah, I think, yeah, that seems like a, a pretty real concern that, uh, that things go very fast somehow, especially I think from, from some sort of feedback intelligence explosion where the AI is improving the AI. If the AI systems are pretty smart, they presumably also see these kind of alignment problems that we're concerned about. Um, so I don't know how they respond to them. <laughs> it seems like if they're indeed very troubling and the main reason we're going fast is for lack of coordination or something, you might hope that they do better. But maybe, maybe if they're already implicitly like somewhat misaligned, but not that dangerous, but then uh, they do better at implementing an aligned version of whatever they're doing than we ultimately hate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I haven't uh, thought through this that well. Uh, there are some thoughts. Yeah, I think definitely the, the more that the threat seems to be fuzzy and reliant on unknowns and maybe also things that are in the future, the harder it also seems to like know what right now in this moment are good and like robust interventions. It feels a lot easier to align the like current set of systems than it does some unknown type of system in the future. Yeah, that seems right. Um, I guess uh, 
I feel like if if you sort of have to look look I feel like it's it's hard to think of anything perhaps that seems like it would be robustly good for a long time or something or that doesn't sound somehow dangerous in the long term um so I I worry about sort of conflating things that are definitely going to kill us soon with things where it's hard to see exactly how they go well in the long term um yeah when i don't know when that would also be true of like just capitalism or something <laughs> i don't know yeah nice okay let's talk about another um section of the post yeah. and this section is about i guess this assumption that once we get truly superhuman AI, then that will be more or less sufficient to overpower humanity, you know, in a way which is like lasting and bad. Um, yeah, what, what, what reasons might you think of to push back against that? I guess it seems um, pretty unspecified from, from uh, no, no, truly superhuman intelligence, like how much intelligence is going toward what here? Um, I, I guess maybe since I wrote this post, I've been thinking about things um, in terms of like there's some amount of cognitive labor going toward different things. Um, an important thing happening with AI is there's just going to be a giant new pile of cognitive labor available. Um, and it's also going to be distributed differently from the cognitive labor currently in the world, which is... Uh, somewhat nicely allocated to different humans so we like sell it some but but everyone has like some allotment of it that they get to spend on their purposes um and so it seems like the question of when uh, under what circumstances does the world get taken over by um some new systems or something uh, i'm inclined to think of it as uh how much cognitive labor is getting allocated to some set of goals relative to some other set of goals? Uh, so, like, it's not quite equivalent, but uh, sort of, if if more cognitive labor is going toward making X happen than making Y happen, um, and uh, we're tentatively ignoring all the other. Um, resources one might spend on things and treating cognitive labor as like most of what's going on, uh, then I might think that ultimately X happens instead of Y happens. Um, so uh, if there is superhuman intelligence um, and it's it's misaligned, um, then does that naturally get us that, you know, there's more cognitive labor going toward some X than whatever it is that humans want. Um, so some ways that might not be true uh, we haven't actually said how much of the misaligned AI there is, um, or, you know, there, it seems like we could also have other AI that's not agentic, um, that's also being, is also like a form of cognitive labor going toward various goals. So like if you have humans and they're using various tools, um, they're, they're not, uh, maybe like a human plus some tools is probably not as effective as uh, an agentic system that kind of has those capabilities built into its head. Uh, like, you know, there's, there's some inefficiency from using systems outside of yourself often. Um, but I think it's it's less clear that 
the AI systems just have a huge advantage. And I feel like it depends on how much uh, computing is going toward running those systems versus running the tools. Like maybe the tools are things that uh, include things that you know try and keep the other systems in check. Um, or if if these misaligned AI systems are um, being used by the humans to do things they want, but they're not perfectly aligned, then it still seems like you know effort is going toward the human goals, um, and not all of not all of the uh, misaligned AI system effort is going toward forwarding the misaligned goals necessarily. Um, for instance, if they have to do what humans want in order to be run, so that in the long run maybe they can take over the world or something. Um, that still means they're not allocating most of their current thinking to that goal. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean, I might try saying that thought back to make sure I'm getting it. So yeah. um, it is the case that there are some humans who try to take over the world, but they tend to fail. And the reason isn't that they're especially less smart than other humans. It's that there aren't many of them. Um, and there are lots of humans who don't want the world to be taken over by those people. And, you know, similarly, you can imagine if there is some AI system that wants to take over the world, but it's not quite powerful enough on its own. Well, that's, that's good, but it's only kind of tentatively good because you might point out that if it became a thousand times more powerful along some dimension, then suddenly it's, it's dangerous again and it has a good shot. Uh, but if it were the case that there are also at the same time, some, let's say AI assisted tools or just other ways of preventing things or people from taking over the world and they got better in step with the taking over the world AIs, then that regime is like at a very abstract level, more robust to everything getting better to scale. And so like maybe things are just kind of indefinitely fine as AI systems get better in general. Is that roughly the idea? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say indefinitely better, but I guess it could be indefinitely better. It's sort of like a, a not necessarily long-term solution. Um, but yeah. I guess I think often it's good to not look for forever solutions to things if you think that you're going to be able to find another solution next round or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's not definite at least, which is... <laughs> yeah. So what, one point that you made, um, I guess, like closer towards the end of your post was asking uh, whether these or whether the basic argument for X-Risk maybe proves too much. And you kind of previously alluded to, you know, in the long run, nothing works perfect. Like what about capitalism? And I think maybe in a similar way here, you have uh, this like nice analogy uh, to, to corporations. Uh, do you mind like briefly spelling that out? Yeah, uh, rather, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, it seems like corporations are um, like a corporation is smarter than a human uh, in many ways, at least. Um, like for for many things that you might want to do, it's easier for a corporation to do them than a human. A corporation is, uh, has a lot more cognitive power at its disposal, um, even for things where like a particular human might be good. The corporation can maybe like find the best human in it and use that. So you might think um, if you take this. AI risk argument, you're like, well, if there were things that were um, smarter than humans, um, they would necessarily have the wrong goals. And then uh, if they were smarter than humans and had the wrong goals, they, they would be able to destroy humans and take over the world or something. Um, 
you know, it's interesting to say, well, why doesn't this apply to corporations then? Because it, it sort of looks like it should, because they, they seem to be smarter than humans. Um, like, well, do they have their own goals? Um, seems like probably, uh, <laughs> or, or like, um, I mean, I think they are specifically trying to maximize profit uh, in some official sense. But uh, if if you also just looked at their behavior and were like, if understood as like a sort of um, somewhat incoherent version of a maximizer of something, are they maximizing human values? I think for any particular corporation, the answer is probably no. Um, and yet they don't take over the world and destroy humanity. Um, I think one answer is, well, they actually do take over the world and destroy humanity. Uh, it's just very slow going <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. Um, in which case, uh, you might say, yeah, and having these, this AI available will actually speed up the process a lot um, and make it possible for um, like corporations in particular to, to, use, to get a lot of cognitive labor to spend on things that are not good for humanity. Um, and like find loopholes or things they can get away with to take value from humans. Yeah, I guess one kind of fun question here is something like, in the absence at least of um, antitrust measures, <laughs> would there just eventually be one company? Because, you know, like there are these um, returns to scale, which is why companies exist in the first place, um, at least roughly. Um, and then you might just think, well, no, because also there are like, all these diminishing returns, like productivity <laughs> tends to scale less than linearly with the number of people in their company and stuff. Um, because yeah. it's like really hard to parallelize different people thinking to like combine together to make one big, really coherent, agentic thing. Um, I guess yeah. there's a separate question about whether AI systems would be similar, uh, but it's at least like, you know, notable. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, the analogous question does seem interesting to think about, though. Like, should you expect, if, if there's sort of competitive pressures or something, should you expect AI systems to be arbitrarily large, few systems or many smaller systems? So we, we've talked a lot about kind of like counter arguments uh, to the basic uh, case for X risk. But I mean, I guess like, Evidentially, you still work on uh, AI X risk uh, yourself, um, and I, I'm curious maybe to like ask from the other side as well. Like, what is it maybe on the counter counter arguments, or or maybe the like more basic logic um, of, of of what about uh, X risk you still find uh, like motivating and, and and why you choose to to work on it? Yeah, I mean, I think these counter arguments are. Um like none of them are sort of knocked down they're they're mostly like well this this could be um bad or less bad um and i don't know i i end up last time I, I sort of calculated things somewhat uh and and guessed somewhat i came up with like 19 percent chance of the world being destroyed uh which is you know, still pretty bad um and i think i'd maybe maybe go upwards since then or something Though that might just be visceral um fear looking at what people do on twitter uh, <laughs> i think I, I hadn't really um i think I, i'm usually thinking about like what what will happen like if assuming that humans have human values and try to make things go well, um, 
like, can we achieve it? And I less think about um, to what extent are people just going to actively try and destroy things because it will be entertaining or something. Uh, and um, I guess uh, I think similarly, like if, if I had been thinking about COVID in the abstract ahead of time, like if you'd been like, oh yeah, there'll be like a, a pandemic and, um, you know, it'll be pretty bad in ways. I think the thing I wouldn't have expected is just like people being unwilling to wear masks or something like at the, like at the point where it's fairly costly for them to get it. Um, <laughs> or, or like it taking maybe years for people to wear N95 masks instead of like really basic masks. I think in my like abstract assessment, I would have been like, oh yeah. And obviously like, you know, on day two, everyone will be wearing P100s or something. Whereas I think like most people were still not aware of P100s throughout the, the thing. Um, and I guess somehow like that kind of detail of like what do people actually do, I feel like may, probably just makes things worse in expectation. <laughs> um, and I, I'm probably not taking that into account enough. Okay, well, on that uh, note, let's talk about <laughs> slowing down AI. Yeah. Uh, so you, you recently wrote about why we might start thinking about slowing down AI, why that could be good. And maybe your mm -hmm. first question is just for to ask you to just lay out that basic case. Why could it help to slow this stuff down? Um, well, I think just uh, if, if you have a thing that you think might kill you, uh, I think at the most basic level, it's it's good to have more time. <laughs> uh, if uh, even if you didn't have some sort of process that might lead to it not killing you, um, you know, just having longer to maybe find something is good. But I think we we probably do have processes. Like I think um, you know, people are working on alignment. Uh, you know. Um, I think beyond that also like some of the badness comes from things being uh like abrupt progress where one party of some sort either an ai system or people um suddenly get a lot of uh control of the situation relative to others and i think if um yeah i guess that's one one source of risk I think another thing is that if we uh, watch things rolling out more slowly, uh, it's possible to more see problems arising or like get hints that something is dangerous and then do something about it. It seems like this is a, a big complicated thing and so there are probably a lot of um, places to make things slightly better. Uh, or, or at least in, in many worlds, I think there are. It, it, it's possible that it's just like, well, there'll be a very fast intelligence explosion at some point, and then we're doomed or something. Um, but in these more incremental worlds that could go either way, um, it, it's just good to have more time to pay more attention to you know, whether particular systems look risky in ways or to spend more time looking for ways that they might be doing something bad. Yeah. You mentioned at the top of the interview that one of the things you're thinking about is actually what slowing down AI looks like. And I can imagine it conjures up lots of uh, different images of um, what what people mean by it when they they use the phrase. Uh, could you maybe like disentangle and give a couple of examples um, on, yeah, like what kinds of interventions you're, you're currently thinking about here? Yeah. Um... So I guess one one kind of intervention um, that comes up is uh, 
like labs agreeing to not uh, train or release the next large language model kind of as uh, as suggested by this FLI letter, uh, since I guess people around are discussing whether that's a good idea or not. Um, and uh, the concern there is that the the thing that actually matters for AI progress is basically how much hardware there is or how cheap it is, um, like some sort of underlying curve of like how big would the next model be if you built it right now. And so then a thought is, well, if you, if you didn't build GPT-5, um, you haven't actually slowed down the, the real AI progress at all. You've just stopped getting to see it. Uh, right. And, and maybe when you and you made it more lumpy as well when it does happen, which could be right. bad. <laughs> yeah. So so maybe it's bad in that way, and um, yeah, maybe it's bad because you don't know what's happening. Um, I think that's that's not the the only concern. People, uh, people around me, I've heard having about this. A different kind of one is like uh, if you if you slowed down releasing things that sort of changes how much money the different companies have and you'd prefer for there to be a leader who's more ahead of the other companies because then they'll feel like they're less in an arms race and then uh when they actually get very close then maybe they'll pause um because they're less in an arms race uh i guess i'm somewhat skeptical of that <laughs> that sounds like a um I guess a pretty doomy kind of scenario in that I, I don't necessarily expect a AI company that's most ahead to pick an ideal moment to pause that well and then to actually do it if they're like right on the cusp of having AI that would allow them to take over the world or something uh, or not to do it for very long. I, I sort of, I think if you did successfully have a six month pause, it's pretty plausible that's longer than the pause you would get on the cusp of AGI yeah. from a company voluntarily allowing other companies to catch up with them. Um, but, you know, I don't know a lot about this. Maybe I'm naive. I'm definitely naive. I guess an intervention that's, um, that's tempting to me uh, is the kind of uh, meta intervention of just cause a lot of people to understand this situation um, and, and be worried about it. I, I sort of expect different people in different situations to see opportunities near them to make the situation better. And I think it's often better to inform a lot of people who are well intentioned and are holding different levers that you can't see than to, to try and um, figure out in detail what should happen. Um, but that's kind of a speculative take. Yeah, nice. Okay, so as I see it, the case for slowing down something which seems maybe really dangerous is quite obvious. So maybe we could talk about reasons it could be a bad idea, like it could actually do harm, you know? Yeah. And um, the first one you mentioned, which is, well, maybe it has something to do with arms race dynamics. Um, yeah. I guess there are different ways that could be spelled out. Like one thing that comes to mind is something like, okay, you might in general expect the more conscientious, you know, careful actors to be more receptive to these like calls to slow down, which just means that you're like differentially hurting the actors that you'd actually prefer to kind of, you know, win the race in some sense, because they would do the best job with like deploying the, the really powerful 
AI. Um, yeah, I guess first, are there any other versions of this like arms race worry? And then we can maybe talk about um, how you think about it. I think that seems like most of it. Maybe maybe some also just, um, um, I guess, randomly, if you happen to like um, your culture's values better than another culture's values, uh, it seems like there's some amount of not just like some people being more careful than others, but just like, uh, surprisingly, I hope I win instead of them. Right. <laughs> type, type reasoning. Um, yeah. What, what, one question here is maybe like drawing a distinction. I think a lot of this conversation has been focusing around, you know, kind of implicitly maybe labs or, or companies racing against each other. Um, it feels like less clear to me of like having like cultural, uh, you know, very big like cultural differences there than, you know, situations where it's like the US military and the Chinese military like racing against each other and they're taking um, all sorts of like geopolitical um, like angles as well. Um, do you find the like arms race story more plausible in the like corpora uh, versus like country uh, story or how much of your arms race concern is like driven by by one narrative over the other maybe? I'm I think I'm skeptical of both narratives and <laughs> maybe I'm skeptical for different reasons somewhat. Though I, I think they're somewhat the same reasons. Like one reason I'm skeptical of the whole arms race um, description for, for either case is that if there's a pretty high risk that you're going to die, uh, I think the situation is, or, or like if the, the winner gets to like kill everyone uh, and that's what happens, um, that's not actually a normal arms race. Uh, like it's it's pretty unclear that the thing you're incentivized to do, even if the other person is racing, is to also race. Um, especially, I think once you take into account that, uh, like, if things are slower, or if you manage to do more safety research before the thing happens, um, that also makes their winning entry less likely to destroy the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's like quite plausibly in your interest, even if they're going as fast as possible, to go as slow as possible. I think. Um, yeah, and to like fully share all of your all the stuff you've learned about how to make this thing safe. Yeah, in a um, way which you wouldn't share, like the kind of how to make these things like really powerful. Right. Yeah, but I think um, it seems like it's also it's people are thinking more complicated things there. At least, like uh, maybe if um, the other side knew how to align the thing, then they would build it and take over the world. Whereas if they don't know how to align it, they might be scared because it will kill them. <laughs> uh, like, it, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, okay. Seems like things can be more complicated. But um, yeah, broadly, it seems like not not actually an arms race properly if like if you're if you're at least somewhat concerned about it killing everyone. Um, I think it's easy to sort of forget that people being on the side of good or something or, or like people being concerned isn't necessarily going to buy you almost anything. Like if, if you're worried about these kind of like AI X risks of, of the, um, I don't know, Yudkowskian variety, uh, like having the people be really nice or something who are pressing the button to make this happen yeah. It yeah. doesn't help you. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, but then, like, if even if you were in a situation where it was an arms race, I think the thing you should try and do is coordinate out of that. Like, 
I think yeah. there probably right. is a lot of opportunity for um, like agreeing to both not do a thing and then like policing whether you're doing it. And I don't know. Um, I think as I guess Ezra Klein noted recently, it seems like China uh, is not is sort of regulating AI a decent amount and doesn't actually appear to be, you know, doing their best <laughs> to beat America in a in an AI race or something in that sense. So it, I don't know, it seems good to keep an eye on what's empirically happening. Yeah, nice. I guess there are also historical precedents for people kind of falsely believing that were, they are in a race and that being the thing that made them speed up. Um, yeah, I guess it also seems to me like people are just very, like, very quickly jump to the narrative that they're in a race or something. Like, even if the situation doesn't look that race-like, I feel like people have for a while been kind of interpreting things as an AI arms race more than it seems to me is uh, warranted. Yeah. Okay. So that that's one reason that you might be skeptical of slowing down AI being a good thing, but we've discussed that probably, well, quite possibly, it's more complicated than that. The arms race. Um, are there any other reasons why slowing down AI could be like positively harmful or dangerous? Yeah. So I guess as we as we also discussed a little bit, um, if if you mostly manage to slow down. Uh, more like the consequences of AI and weren't slowing down the the more basic process of AI uh, yeah, right. improving, um, that could be worse. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Okay. I guess another just like natural response to the suggestion that everyone slow down AI for like a period of months is just that that sounds incredibly hard, especially for a technology like this, which just seems obviously very economically valuable and valuable in other ways for the people who are building it. Um, so, you know, one question here is, are there any precedents? Like, have people done anything like this in the past where they've more or less delayed or even stalled like entire kinds of technologies? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look around, uh, there there is a lot of valuable stuff that's that's going very slowly because of... of concerns we have like i don't know all of medicine or i think <laughs> like yeah maybe during the pandemic i was paying more attention to this than usual uh you know purportedly the vaccines took quite a lot longer than they could have if we were you know willing to um cut corners in various ways um i think often similar people who are saying like oh uh you know it's, it's impossible to stop ai progress because it's very valuable are like complaining about you know the fda and uh like right. <laughs> how incredibly um hard it is to do valuable things sometimes um because of yeah. what seem to be like incredibly minor concerns about things yeah M maybe this is naive but does it not like also like work the other way or something of like oh a lot of people uh who want to slow down ai also think that a bunch of like good things have historically uh been slowed down or, or maybe a like um more nuanced way of like asking this uh, as a question would be outside of like good technologies having been slowed down, have there been like concrete examples of, you know, what would have like, you know, plausibly been very risky technologies having like been slowed down or something. So not COVID vaccines, but something more of like, oh, like this, you know, could have been really, really bad. 
mm, like, do we ever successfully slow down things that were actually dangerous? <laughs> we only slow yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like, oh, people are just like overly cautious. Yeah. Ah, as in you mean, um, like maybe well, that's fine. I don't mind everyone being overly cautious, right? Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think actually uh, an interesting example here that that I happen to have looked into a bunch um, is the Asilomar Conference on Recombinant DNA, which I um, so often have in mind as a as a nice case study where I, I think in the end it was unclear that anything they're doing, um, or I think I don't know how dangerous anything they're doing was, but the, the reason that it's the basic story there was, um, you know, it was early kind of genetic engineering time and uh, a, a kind of experiment that um, some people were doing was take cancer causing genes and put them in E. coli, so gut bacteria. Um, and the reasons I think for doing this were like, um, I, I know that like there were various reasons that like E. coli is a usual thing to, to do things with and putting cancer causing genes and things was convenient for reasons. But at some point someone was like, wait, uh, if we make E. coli that causes cancer, that could actually be like a, a sort of global disaster. Cause like, you know, E. coli just spreads between <laughs> people. Bad, yeah. um, like, uh, like, wait, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and so, uh, like some scientists there called for a moratorium um, on some class of research, and they they did have a moratorium um, successfully, in spite of I think uh, many of the scientists being opposed. Um, where I know, the, the set of views there at the time was kind of interesting. Like, like there was um, there was one guy who said something like the you know thing you do in science is like go in the jungle and maybe the tiger eats you but we you know we got to go there and get eaten by the tiger uh, I, i'm not quoting him perfectly um but, <laughs> so it's sort of like yeah this is dangerous but it's science uh being represented um but you know a bunch of people are on the side of we should pause this um and they and then they paused it and they had this um asilama conference that is famous and they basically I think came up with classes of research and um, had specific instructions for like what you should do if you're doing that class of research. Like, you know, yep, these experiments are not very dangerous, but you you should do them. You, you're not allowed to use mouth pipettes and suck the stuff into your mouth or whatever. The, the state of safety at the time was like quite lacking on various fronts. Um, and I think they had like a top category that you just weren't allowed to do at all. Um, and and so it was, yeah. yeah. When, do, you, do you know when this was? 70s. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it occurs to me that maybe we are kind of biased against noticing examples of technologies which have been successfully um, slowed down or entirely stalled because these things are absences by definition right the things that don't happen like in the same way that it would be easier for me to notice if someone had added a new book to my bookshelf than <laughs> taken away a book from my bookshelf right or failed um, to add a book to your bookshelf right yeah right well, <laughs> um like i don't know uh the development of like novel recreational drugs is like totally yeah. a thing that lots of people could be doing right now um, yeah it's true. i think that's a good one yeah um I think all sorts of genetic things are somewhat notable especially with humans yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. There's maybe also a like useful point of the conference here, and it just having been a really useful precedent to establish that scientists can do this. That even if there isn't a like 
specific concern, or even if that like isn't like the main concern uh, that you think like that ultimately the risks of like gene editing and thing could come from, or at least like not the biggest risks. Um, establishing norms like this early is a really useful precedent to then get more cooperation to happen like later on. I'm thinking here as well of like examples like CRISPR and stuff today. I think in large part attitudes around that in science still being really shaped by things that happened back in the 1970s. Yeah, interesting. I do think it might be useful to try and slow things down before uh, you're really at the point where you definitely need to slow them down. Um, for reasons of kind of like getting practice and and getting some like um, systems in place for doing that um, and, and it being like not knowing that you can do that. Like, I think at the moment, a lot of people are like, oh, that's very implausible. But if we'd done it once already for a bit, you, you would know that it was possible. Um, I also think like it's easier to slow these things down probably um somewhat ahead of when there there are like particular people who would get like piles of money next year if they did it like if at the point where it's sort of more abstract who exactly is going to um benefit my guess is that it's just a lot easier to to slow things down so yeah one reason for slowing things down early is like you get this um experience for next time like practice um but you might also worry that if you're slowing things down before they're like seriously worrying, then there's some boy who cried wolf type dynamic where, you know, they get slowed down and then for the next few years, like nothing really terrible happens. And then people trust less uh, the calls to slow things down again when like, you know, when there's another opportunity to do that. Does that make sense? Like another way of framing that is like you have just some fixed amount of like social capital to spend down and maybe you just want to like keep the powder dry for like when it matters uh, rather than like burn all your trust on this like training run, you know? Yeah, I, th I think that's probably a somewhat wrong model. Um, my guess is that if you s successfully slowed things down, um, there's a good chance that gets you more rather than less ability to slow things down. Um, I think partly, I mean, I guess the reason they said, but but on the like, do you have a fixed social capital budget and you're burning yeah. that? Um, I think social capital is is more like making a bet um, where if if it goes well, then you actually have more social capital uh, and that you can use next time. And I think if you manage to slow things down at the moment, it's not clear to me that that would uh, lose you the bet. I think, <laughs> I think um, for one thing, things are likely to continue to look very scary. Like I think if you manage to slow things down at the moment, you would be right about whether the things are scary, I think. And especially for the, um, I mean, I think the things that people actually want from AI systems, like we're arguing about, is AI definitely going to kill us or not? <laughs> um, like for, is it going to get us what we want and not cause terrible things to happen? Like that's a much higher bar that I, and I think it's very likely to, you know, be clear that we're not on the road to that, like over the next few years and for dangerous things to happen. Um, mm -hmm. if, mm -hmm. if you wanted to like, when an AI system is making a decision about your life for you to be able to know that it was made well or know why it was made or something, which is the kind of bar that uh, often people want. Like that's, I think, totally out of the question at the moment. And so you need to <laughs> slow down and um, uh, do a lot more work on the transparency of these things to, to get anywhere near there. 
Yeah, so so I think there's a good chance that you would like win win your social capital bet, and I think it's more like a bet. I guess like one one point here would be that we've seen some actions already. So we've seen the FLI letter uh, calling for a moratorium. You've talked previously about just like generally spreading awareness and getting people to think about these things could be a really useful way for people to take contextual and kind of like local actions. Um, I can imagine that there's another like really big list of things to do from all the way from like protesting to uh, like doing more um, uh, like media stuff and the like. Um, and even if we're not sure which of these actions are like good on net, it would maybe be useful to spell out a couple of actions that people should be looking into more detail now and kind of thinking hard um, about like, oh, is this like a good way to do achieve this goal or a bad way to achieve this goal? Uh, and I'm curious if you've got like a list that you would be keen for people to explore further, um, even if that's not necessarily implementing. Hmm. Um, I think not off the top of my head. What, one intervention I think is interesting and should be explored further though is um um this is a wild a wild proposal uh what if america just slowed down a lot unilaterally and didn't worry about the arms race with china how does how does that uh uh how does that land with china i feel like there's a way in which that like if if you're china and you see america do that it's very clear they're not trying to win an arms race with you. Um, it, I think it's like a very good, costly signal that they're genuinely concerned about it and um, really believe there's a big risk. I think it's like quite plausible that you also worry a lot about it at that point. And so I sort of wonder about that sort of thing uh, where I, I think like when I think about a China-US arms race, a natural thing to try and do is like, some sort of diplomacy where you like both promise that you won't rush ahead, but somehow that's still framed as like, oh yeah, it would be in our interest to rush ahead. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's not do that. It seems like a, an alternate thing to consider is just being like, clearly it's not in our interest. We're stopping. Uh, yeah. I wonder what happened would have happened if the US uh, just decided not to build nukes like very openly, <laughs> incredibly during the Cold War. Yeah, and maybe it could have been okay, but <laughs> nukes. It's sort of like clear what you're getting or something. I feel like it, it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'd still, I guess, if the other side just clearly wasn't building nukes, be like, wow, there's something I don't understand about this situation. Yeah. Like in the case of AI, you're like informing the other party about how risky you think it is. In the case of nukes, it's obvious. Like that's what they're built for. Um, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Uh -huh. One thing that comes to mind is. Uh, like engineering the weather, I think, like got a bunch of attention like early on in the Cold War, um, partly as um, a weapon, but also partly, uh, you know, just like an economic thing. But I think like no country really ended up pursuing it uh, yeah. in a way. Uh, and I think in part because of like ways that it could backfire and that these systems are just very chaotic. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there would have happened, if there would have been an arms race in a world where like countries did pursue it, but at least that seems to be uh something that kind of was like able to to avoid that dynamic yeah right and you you do have a story there where like somebody playing with the weather in their country is clearly going to affect uh, another country as well so um there is this like way that you could have gone oh like you know we don't really want to do this but if we don't do it the other side well and then our weather is going to be screwed over so yeah it's best for us to like, kind of race ahead <laughs> yeah yeah cool Let, let's talk about uh this fli letter if you're down to so you wrote about slowing down ai like december last year um, yep. And then more recently, there's just been this open letter 
from FLI, the Future of Life Institute, and then lots of impressive people signed it. I mean, just an initial question is like, what do you think about the letter? Did you sign it? <laughs> oh, I did sign it. Um, yeah, after thinking some about these things, I, I think like if it if it fails but gets a bunch of attention, I think that will be like helpful for like the next iteration of trying to pause things. Um, yeah, I think you might have some concern. Like, I think if you were writing such a letter, if you were that you might have some concern that it wouldn't get enough attention and that it would make it seem like such a thing wasn't uh, going to work or something. But I think uh, at the point you're deciding whether to sign it, that those considerations are, are already out of the picture. And it's just like, given that this thing exists, do you want it to get more support? When you were thinking about whether to sign it, um, which criticisms of that letter stood out to you? Yeah, I think... Um, mostly things that we've already discussed, like that, um, maybe especially that, uh, it might cause, um, uh, or it might stop particular AI companies being further in the lead or something and, and therefore make the race faster, uh, after the, the pause, um, and ultimately not lead to much slowdown, um, where I, I think my disagreement with that ends up being something like, or maybe aside from things you might have said, um, it seems like if you could only decide between a six-month pause and no pause, um, like maybe it's better to be in the world where one company is like further ahead and maybe they, they pause at the end or something. But I think both of those are pretty bad and we should shoot for a scenario that's more like pause substantially. Um, and I think pausing a bit is pretty likely to get you to the pause substantially world, whereas like never try to pause in case you end up in the only pause slightly world um, seems doomy. One point of discussion that uh, the FLI letter seemed to really kick up was questions about uh, you know whether it is best to try and shift the Overton window as much as possible through uh, these kind of like big shifts and big announcements that get a lot of headline and get a lot of media attention, as opposed to trying to like incrementally uh, shift the mood. How has the FLI letters, you know, maybe reception, like changed your thinking or influenced your thinking um, on on that topic at all? Hmm. Um, where by incrementally shift things, you mean? Uh, I don't know. What would that look like? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and maybe <laughs> a question I'm I'm more curious to kind of like hear uh, your answer to. But I could imagine it being more in the form of you know, speaking individually to people at AI labs or making like very nuanced cases for, you know, we're not telling you to like have a moratorium, but maybe you should like think about, um, you know, slowing down a little bit, maybe not six months, maybe uh, only a little bit, or maybe um, less kind of like costly actions, like, um, you know, sharing all AI safety research, like across labs or something like that. Yeah, I think, um, um, if the thing that you actually want to happen is like you're very far in in, <laughs> in a direction from what's going to happen by default, um, my guess is that it's better to try and get there uh, like in in large jumps or sort of like ask for the thing you actually want or um, something close to there, uh, especially if like you know time is pretty tight. Um, I, I guess Overton window type things where where things seem out of the realm of possibility uh, in that kind of scenario, I think it's um, like you get something from from 
suggesting things that are outside of the current window, I think often often it helps move the window if you're like, look, what I'm actually thinking of is this thing that currently seems totally wild to you. Uh, whereas if you try and just move a little bit within the window all the time, maybe that doesn't actually shift the window. So then you have trouble um, moving very far. Yeah, maybe one question is before seeing how the FLI letter like was mm. received by like society as a whole, like how far out the Overton window, like did you see it as being, or did you think that this actually was like something closer to an incremental step? And then how has uh, you know the media's or like society's reaction to the letter uh, changed your mind on maybe doing even more ambitious uh, uh, like things in the future? Hmm. Um. I think my sense previously was that um, a lot of people are actually pretty open to concerns about AI risk um, and that people in the AI X risk community are often wrong about that because they more talk to people who are very near the AI X risk community, like, you know, uh, other intellectuals who have like some reason to disagree. Um, and if you just talk to like, I don't know, I had a, um, uh, a lively discussion about this with um, a woman showing me makeup I could wear in Sephora one time. Um, she was pretty concerned about AI risk. Um, I, I think like, <laughs> she doesn't talk yeah. to... Essentially, like if I speak to someone, for instance, in my tech bubble, but who isn't in the bubble of people who cares about X risk, then maybe the reason they're not in that smaller bubble is that they've like decided that they don't really like weigh the arguments. Right. Whereas that doesn't really apply to most people. Yeah. Um, and, and they might just also be more in a mode of like it mattering to their social identity, like what they, whether they believe these arguments or not. Whereas if you're just doing an entirely different thing, like you're trying to run a shop or something, you're just like, do I wish that there were smarter than human agents around? <laughs> like, no. Um, or like, yeah. does this sound dangerous? Yes. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, I guess I think prior to this, this was more like a hypothesis I had where I sort of like argued for that some, um, but it seemed pretty plausible that I was wrong. Uh, and I think maybe the reception has caused me to more think, ah, no, uh, just a, a lot of people do see the danger of this pretty easily. Um, I think it's somewhat hard for me to see the reception. Uh, I think I, it's been more clear to me lately that, um, um, I don't know, looking at things on Twitter, say, or talking to people, it's just very much of a bubble um, or, or different bubbles even. But like, it's, it's hard to see what's happening, even just like in other parts of the Bay Area tech <laughs> conversation about things. Um, I mean, there's some like public polling, right? Not just the general public. Yeah, that's fair. And um, yeah, tells a similar story. Yeah. Um, yeah, nice. W one thing I was meaning to uh, mention while we're talking about slowing down AI is well one way you could do that is you could um try to nudge norms around publishing research so like i don't know if you take like cancer research right the presumption is just to publish it for obvious reasons and to yeah. share it and that's probably true of like most of science um but there are cases where that's not the presumption so like the manhattan project might be an example where there's yeah. obvious security reasons not to like share your research with the world. Yeah. And currently it looks like um, the presumption in the AI context is towards like open access publishing 
most research mm. results mm. or even just announcing them even if you don't publish the, de- the details yeah which is like what the big labs do and yeah i'm just curious if you have thoughts on whether it might be good to like try to you know explain why shifting those knobs could be a good idea yeah i mean i think it's n- not obvious um it seems like indeed if you if you share uh knowledge about how to do things less than that, that probably slows down progress overall if there are various people working on a thing um i think if you if you don't um if you don't say that you I think if you say that you did a thing, but don't say how to do it, that probably also encourages other people to do it. Like often it's easier to totally, figure out how yeah. to do a thing if you know that it can be done. Um, yeah. I think also the the effect where, uh, like if you publicly say that you did a thing, then the world knows that about that thing being possible uh, and that they should maybe worry about it. Um, and like who sort of knows where we're up to um, is, I think... I think it's like helpful for safety for people to be appropriately worried about what is currently possible. And so it's nice to get feedback about that. Um, and I guess also in terms of like releasing things while the things aren't dangerous, it seems like there it's, there are upsides to things being released if just people becoming appropriately worried about them. Uh, but also maybe trying to, uh, modify the world to make it more able to deal with the existence of those things. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess it's just very complicated, right? Like, while the things you're releasing aren't actually wildly dangerous, then you can learn from them. That's a reason for sharing them with the world. Also, people can just learn from the fact that things are possible, and maybe that gets people more concerned in good ways. With, say, you know, GPT-4, um, like people are trying to build things out of GPT-4 that like might be more alarming in ways um if you just hadn't released gpd4 they couldn't do those things um and so maybe like if you didn't release some models you uh there would be like a a jump later on but also you wouldn't have got these intermediate um things that are built out of them which might also cause trouble somehow um as well as these other considerations yeah okay cool so that was a conversation about slowing down ai uh, if you're down, we just have a bunch of like somewhat less well-organized slash fun questions. Well. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, so yeah, here, here's one. Um, if we go back to thinking about the like basic arguments or arguments for worrying about AIX risk, often people refer to this analogy uh, with natural selection in the case of humans. And I know you've written about this. So yeah, like curious how you think about that analogy and like whether you think it works ultimately hmm. i think um maybe there are different things that people say about the analogy with humans um but i think the thing you're alluding to is like uh the thought that evolution in some sense was running a training process with uh with like life on earth uh and the thing that evolution wanted us to do in some sense was like spread our genes um, and, uh, it seems like humans did well at that for a bit, but, um, they also have come up with all kinds of ways to not have children and, uh, have fun anyway. And, um, so you might say, well, they're, they're misaligned. Um, and, and we should infer from that, that like 
or it's like some evidence about like if we try to to make AI systems by uh, selecting the ones that do the things that we want, will they actually do the things we want in the long term, or will they um, like tentatively do them and then later on find ways around those things, or quickly find ways around those things, or other ways to get the things? Um, and uh, I guess I, I don't have a strong take on this. My my thought about it was that um, it's not clear that what evolution wants is spreading genes. Um, it seems like sort of natural selection in the broadest sense, what it wants is things that uh, exist, like both things that are more likely to come into existence, things that are likely to stick around once they exist, things that make copies of themselves. Um, like to the extent we're just talking about like a selection effect for for existy things, um, which I guess seems mm -hmm. like the generalization of natural selection to me. Uh, and it seems like, yeah, the, the goal that, <laughs> that the, the things created should have if they were going to be aligned is to exist. Um, and I don't think that humans do have existing as their primary goal. Um, but I do think that they care about it surprisingly much. Um, and that it's, it's like plausible that humans will manage to exist for a long time. And many humans are trying to do that. Like maybe we'll have a space faring civilization and, you know, manage to be the creatures that, um, like are, are the main thing going on in the universe in the long term or, or some version of us. Um, it's the, there's some complication with what is it for us to continue existing? Like what, like there are different things that could exist. Um, but it seems plausible that, that humans, uh, like have some aspect of them that will exist just a huge amount, in which case I, I might be like, wow, this was a surprising success for, uh, for evolution. Really, mm. like it right. put in this effort, and somehow it really some yeah. things that, yeah, that like through through all kinds of like you know the uh, like initially humans were existing by successfully having children, and maybe we stop having children at all and do different things, but but throughout that we're still trying to exist. Uh, at that point, I'm more like, wow, this is like a surprising, uh, like this shouldn't have worked, <laughs> and somehow right. it did. Right. <laughs> And could you maybe like draw if there's then any takeaway that you would like want to apply to uh, how AI or or AI experts like plays into this? I guess I'm not that inclined to draw conclusions for uh, about the object level argument as much as to to draw conclusions about like how to reason about this stuff in general or mm. something like it. It seems often good to try and drill down and be very careful about the argument you're making and like yeah. look really carefully at empirically what's going on and whether whether your sort of abstract argument does match the empirical world. Um, I think often things are just like more confusing and surprising when you do that <laughs> than it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a useful lesson that maybe also takes us to the uh, next kind of like disorganized question uh, <laughs> we have, which is uh, asking uh, in relation to to your blog post on uh, why don't we trade with with ants? Like, what's the what's the lesson there? <laughs> yeah, I think with with that argument, I probably even less think it changes the um, the AI story. Um, but so, so my uh, 
my concern there is just that we're we're making the wrong argument. Uh, I think often people say something like, "Well, we uh, AI will not trade with us; it will just sort of ignore us and kill us." Um, like, well, we don't trade with ants; like, it will be like that. Um, and I think ultimately, like, pretty plausibly, the AI will not trade with us; it will just kill us or something. But I think it's not at all for the same reasons that we don't trade with ants. I think the reason we don't trade with ants is largely that we can't communicate with them. Um, and, uh, maybe also that they're like, they might not be capable of being well behaved in the right way. Like we, like we can communicate <laughs> some with monkeys, but they're just like quite disobedient is my understanding. Um, but ants, I think there are, or I think the implicit thought when people say we don't trade with ants is like, well, they're kind of useless and small and we just have like, you know, there's no reason we would care about them. But I think if we could communicate with them, they're just like a lot of valuable things they could do in terms of moving around small things, surveilling, uh, cleaning things, um, etc. It's a nice thought. I like that. Um, uh, okay, here's another random question. Why should people consider reading George Saunders? <laughs> um, I feel like there's some sort of deep answer to that question that I can't <laughs> remember the answer to. There's a, there's a shallow answer. I, I got really into George Saunders a little while back. I, I read one of his essays and I liked it so much. I tried to write a blog post about it, but then I, I read another one that I liked even more. And so I kept having to edit my blog post and, it, and I ended up just not even publishing it because it was hard to even um, finish explaining how, you know, what what I thought of these essays. I think the, uh, and at this point, I can't actually remember what my nuanced take was there. What were the, the essays, I guess, first of all? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think maybe the first one I read, I can't remember if this was making it into my blog post, but this was a, a good one, uh, was the Brain Dead Megaphone. Um, then there, uh, I can't remember exactly what they're called, um, but there's one about, this is, Buddha boy who claims yeah. to meditate for ages. He went to investigate that situation. Um, he, he spent the incredible Buddha boy. Yeah, that's it. Um, there's another one where he just like spends a week or something in a kind of crazy sounding homeless encampment, um, which partly I think largely just gets credit for being just like a wild thing to do to write an essay about because it sounded pretty intense. Um, I think that the one that I uh, liked most in the end, uh, I think it's called Thank You, Esther Forbes, um, which is about, uh, I guess, a crush he had on a nun as a boy uh, <laughs> and how that led him to read a book and then uh, about like what's up with writing well. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I think one thing that's, notable about George Saunders though. Like one reason to read George Saunders is um I think I'm quite bad at reading things. Like my my I just my mind wanders very easily. My favorite books I haven't finished necessarily because like I, I'm just really bad at finishing books. And George Saunders for me is like really a page turner still, which which might make him the most page turnery page turner. Um and <laughs> I I might have thought, okay, it's probably like very shallow then. Like it's, it's very just optimized, for, you know, it's like mm. clickbait or something. Yeah. Um, Buzzfeed listicles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it often still seems genuinely deep um, and interesting. 
Yeah. And yeah, so that's, and that's kind of incredible. <laughs> it's not like a straight trade-off between being profound and actually wanting to read it. Just nice to know. <laughs> yeah, but or it feels like hardly a trade-off at all. I, I think yeah. maybe a thing about um, thank you, Esther Forbes, is like, um, um, I don't know, it, it's like partly pretty funny his description of having a crush on this nun because it's like just very on point, and there's a way there's a way that you can be right. Uh, and therefore, like, not superficial in a way that's just sort of hilarious. Um, right. right that's right. the way these things are not a trade-off. Yeah. Okay, well, my next question is, why is your blog called World Spirit Sock Puppet? Hmm. Um, well, it's entertaining to me. I so far, I think, haven't managed to explain it to anyone else in a way that gets a response more enthusiastic than, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> but, but I'll try. Try um, yeah. <laughs> uh, So... Personal identity seems like seems to me like there's not, not an important way in which uh, you know be like being one person is different from being another person. Like there's not some fundamental metaphysical difference between uh, like if if we asked what if I woke up tomorrow as you and you as me, I think there's not an answer to whether that happened. There's just like there are some experiences, there are physical creatures. Um, so I, I think. Yeah, one upshot of that is like you you might just think of all of the humans as like one person who just wakes up as as each human one after another or something or as like one conscious creature um and so i guess i i often call that the world spirit uh, i think um, i haven't i haven't actually read the relevant philosophy about this this is more kind of like um joking around with friends type thing um and then and so sometimes, you know, I think of myself as like the world spirit or as part of the world spirit in a sense. Um, and then sock puppets online are like when when one entity has a whole lot of identities that they, you know, uh, like a, a whole lot of different uh, apparent people commenting, maybe supporting each other in an argument online or something uh, to look like more people than they are. So I like to imagine that the world spirit has a bunch of sock puppets. Um, like that all the blogs are world spirit sock puppets. Uh, and like we're there online arguing about like, you know, being like, yeah, we should do whatever's for the greater good or something. And then, you know, another world spirit sock puppet appears and it's like, yeah, I also think that what's best for the world is good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're so at loggerheads, but ultimately like I'm the left hand and you're the right hand at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like a okay. huge fake discourse that the world spirit is having. I find that um, more delightful than just like, uh, okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> positively great. Um, nice. Yeah, awesome. So moving on to um, final questions then, which we like to ask uh, kind of all our guests before wrapping up. Um, the first one is, what are some things that people could read if they'd like to learn more about what we've been talking about here? Are there any like key uh, posts either by uh, yourself or by other people uh, that you would like suggest uh, people check out? I think on arguments about AI, um, Joe Carl Smith's uh, very long account of the argument is, is a good one. If you if you like things being arguments with um, mm. you know, probabilities on different points and, and sub arguments and stuff, which it's possible I like more than most people, but you know, if you, if you came here, <laughs> maybe what you want. I guess I hope that AI impacts pages are helpful on that also soon, but I think they're not that great yet. I think on slowing down AI, I actually don't know of a good 
summary of the like I, I would like it if there was a, a good account of the uh I mean like the table of contents to your post. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like since I wrote the post, there have been like a different set of considerations that people right. are talking about, like the sort of is it just the underlying um hardware progress that matters, say, um, or or like do you not get that much slow like if you slow down, will that cause things to go faster in the future so you don't get that much slowing down? There's sort of like a whole new crop of arguments. And I think I don't know of um a good written account of what's going on with those yet. I might try to write it. Uh, I think also I'm actually just not very well read in general, as I mentioned. I'm not very good at reading, so um, or I'm very good at daydreaming while reading. Um, so uh, <laughs> to anyone who's actually written such things, I'm sorry that I don't know about them. <laughs> and uh, also to to any such people, please do uh, reach out, and then we'll we'll add anything that listeners send in uh, also to the write up. But okay. maybe your your comment there is like a useful prompt to. Uh, or a useful segue to uh, the next question I wanted to ask, which is, uh, is there, are there any particular like research questions or things in the world that you would be really excited to see uh, and you would want to encourage kind of early career researchers uh, and effective altruists uh, to be working on? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think I am at the moment very interested in the question of like, should we be trying to slow down AI in particular ways um, and what are good ways to do it? Where good ways means both like, Things that are tractable, but also different kinds of things you do might have different effects, as we discussed. Um, so, yeah, if um, I think that sort of thing is good. I, I think the question of what to do if you're um, an early career researcher is different from what to do if you're a later career researcher, though. Um, and so, I think if you're an early career researcher, it's good to do things where people can tell more whether you successfully did it, um, or, or like are less trusting your judgment. Uh, like if you've been around for a while, then it's like easier to write write something that's like here are you know what I think are ten good policy ideas, um, and then and that's interesting to people. Whereas if you just arrived yesterday, then they have to be like very clearly good policy ideas, perhaps for that to get attention. Um, I'm probably doing a deep dive into just like one of these uh, policy areas to like really spell out why it might be a good idea or why it might be a bad idea. It could like maybe be something useful to to concretely act on. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, that even as an early career researcher, you you can do um, like research that people can tell is good, just detailing the considerations. Or I think um, looking at case studies of similar things, like digging up evidence about things and adding it to the conversation, it's often good. Nice. Uh, another question is, is AI impacts hiring? <laughs> um, I think we're, like, we don't currently have a hiring round, um, yeah. uh, but I think we're sort of always open to it. Um, yeah. We're probably more open to it if we got some funding soon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Nice, cool. And then uh, last question is just how can people find you online? Yeah, um, worldspiritsockpuppet.com uh, or right. aiimpacts.org. It's not a busy Google. It's not like filled up with a lot of other results when you Google that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I guess if you like Substack, there's a Substack version that's separate. Nice, great. Okay, catch you, Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Catch a Grace on counterarguments to AI X risk and the case for slowing down AI. If you find this podcast valuable in some way, then probably the most effective way to help is to write an honest review wherever you're listening to this. We'd really appreciate that. 
You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Hear This Idea. Lastly, I'll mention that we still have a feedback form on our website, which you'll receive a free book for filling out. Okay, as always, a big thanks to our producer, Jason, for editing these episodes. And thank you very much for listening.